This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Nog's Chandler Gould next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 480 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Chandler Gould has an extensive career of working with farm policy in Washington, spending time working under Blue Dog Democrats Charlie Stenholm and Colin Peterson. Gould believes wheat policy is second only to dairy in terms of complexity with six different growing regions and different classes of wheat. Gould believes the Build Back Better bill still has a chance on Capitol Hill. I think that they will eventually get a number that uh, Senator Manchin can agree to uh, and move some of those programs forward. There's a lot of good things that are in the bill. Uh, there were a lot. Of, there was a lot of pork that was in the bill as well, and I know that was very troubling uh, to many in the Republican Party. And so, I think being able to scale that back down to let's do let's do the programs that the country needs the most, and let's do them well. And and you know, if you think back, though, lots of legislations have always started uh, with a lot of programs in there, and we've had to trim them back to get them through both chambers. And to me, that is that is the that is demonstrating that the chambers are actually working the way they're supposed to right now. And so I do think Build Back Better uh, will eventually uh, pass through the Senate. Uh, it's going to be a significantly smaller number than the original $3.7 uh, uh, Right now, I know they're already south of, I believe, $1.7, uh, looking maybe around $1.2, $1.3. And so I, I think there will be an opportunity, but I think we, we are running up against an election and if we don't get it done in Q1 or early Q2 of 2022 calendar year, then I think you're going to have a major problem because we'll go into complete election mode for the midterms, where I am very concerned uh, that that uh, there's going to be a lot of pressure on the president's party, um, which is very normal during a midterm. And so I'm afraid that we'll stop looking at legislation and that the Congress will start looking more at the elections and, and either maintaining control or gaining control of one of the chambers. I'm relying on here your experience uh, and expertise in working in Washington. Uh, we'll get to wheat grower policy in a moment, but I'm I'm just interested as to your thoughts of how this midterm election may affect the legislative process for what we're going to see in 2022. Well, 2022, you know, we're going to start having hearings and working in, in both chambers. And here's a prime example on, on the farm bill. And so if we start having hearings, you know, early next year through spring and summer and start pulling the bill together since it does expire in 2023, if we have a change of leadership in either chamber, that basically means you get to go back to the drawing board and start over again because you'll have a new chairman and a, and a new party in, in charge. And so, 
one of the major things that could happen would be uh, a setback in the ability to get uh, the farm bill uh, done by 2023. It's almost happened every time we've written a farm bill, though. We have changed parties somewhere right in the middle of the drafting of it and then kind of and had to go and start over again. And so that, that that's just a prime example that, of something that, that could definitely change. Uh, and, and, you know, with as close as the Senate is, I think both houses or uh, uh, both chambers are easily up uh, for a Republican-controlled uh, Congress, uh, depending depending on what happens in the next couple months. Chandler, we have seen literally billions of dollars move toward rural America uh, in reaction to trade issues uh, and certainly in reaction to the downside of the coronavirus uh, in the country. Will those dollars work against agriculture as we are looking to craft new policy? Even the funds that were proposed uh, and are still apparently at play in a Build Back Better bill? You know, that's a, that's a, an excellent question, and, and it's something that I have been talking to my board of directors about, just trying to make sure that I can manage expectation of our growers. But uh, any of the MFP money or the CFAP 1 and 2 uh, Build Back Better money that is going out the door, I can guarantee you that the far right, uh, you know, uh, AEI and the think tanks on the far right and the far left, uh, you know, EWG, uh, the Heritage Foundation, they are all sitting over there sharpening their pencils, and I, they're going to come back and use that money that was needed to get us through that trade slump and to get us through COVID. They're going to use that as ammunition against us when we start to draft our, our next farm bill. And, and we, as the agriculture industry and the wheat growers, need to be prepared for that. We need to be able to defend what we currently have in the uh, 2018 farm bill and and continue that strong education to congressional uh, staff, which, you know, there's a lot of turnover up there of why these programs are so important and the volatility that we see in, in agriculture, whether it's price and weather or, or international and trade and domestic markets, that the Farm Bill is what supports these farmers and ranchers and wheat growers out there to make sure that we can continue to uh, produce the safest and most affordable food supply in the world. Well, since the last Farm Bill was approved, those billions of dollars have come largely out of the hands of either Agriculture Committee and the Congress. So you look at the Build Back Better, and there is uh, a certain amount of money that is available, and it is dedicated toward agriculture. But inside those funds is a policy that talks about cover crops. Cover crops don't necessarily work for every part of the country, and even in wheat, cover crops cause some consternation between the different varieties and the different regions at which you have that crop and farmers are able to participate. You're exactly right. You know, our, my, my wheat growers, we want to do everything that we can to participate, whether it's through a government program or the private programs that many of our input providers are, are putting together to help combat, you know, climate change and to help do our part on reducing uh, soil erosion and, and, and better water quality and, 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 air, and air quality and things along those lines. But you're exactly right. When it comes to cover crops, uh, wheat is a cover crop. Over 70% of our wheat, roughly 30 million acres, are planted in October or November, depending on which end, which, which end of the north-south part of the country you're in. It is a winter cover crop with a living root system holding that soil in place, keeping 
greenhouse gas emissions and, and sequestering carbon uh, there through the winter. And then, of course, we harvest that wheat uh, anywhere from March to April, depending on where you're at. And if these cover crop programs that are being put back into, you know, whether it's growing solutions or some of the bills that are coming out, uh, if you put those cover crop programs in there uh, in a manner that winter wheat doesn't qualify, we're going to be taking 70% of wheat growers, and not because they don't want to participate, they can't participate because if they did, they wouldn't be able to harvest their wheat uh, in, in that March-April time frame uh, for money because that would be double dipping, and that's and we don't uh, we don't support that, and that's not what we're advocating for. So, my big concern is flexibility, voluntary, and this cannot be written just to work with a corn and soy rotation. We have got to think about the complexity of the wheat production system. And again, going back to that six inches of rain in eastern Washington to the 25 inches of rain uh, east of the Mississippi in our wheat belt. So Chandler, it is said that the House Agriculture Committee is going to start hearings on the Farm Bill very early in 2022. So what are the things that you would want to share with Chairman Scott and other members of the committee with regard to the current legislation and and the idea of drafting new policy? Well, we definitely look forward to uh, working with Chairman Scott and with Ranking Member uh, Thompson. You know, going forward, NOG sets its Farm Bill priorities at Commodity Classic, so that'll be the first week of March. And I never want to ever get in front of my board of directors or, or my growers, but I would be very shocked if crop insurance wasn't number one or two on the programs that we want to look at. Maintaining that flexibility between ARC and PLC, making sure that we have got good uh, Title II voluntary conservation programs, and that anything that's added to the authorities of those conservation programs that are that are leading towards the administration's goals for climate change, again, going back to that flexibility of working with the six different classes of wheat uh, and our different production systems and, and rotation. And then I, I, when you also look at the equity in Title I, um, and, and I'm kind of I'm going to make these numbers up a little bit, but every year going back decades. When we would raise a ref- reference price, you know, corn would get some and soy would get some and, and then, you know, wheat would get some. But, but when you look at the equity in that bill, wheat has fallen behind. And so we're sitting at a 550 reference price. And I, I already know several of my large wheat production states have passed resolutions asking for a slight increase in that reference price. The major concern or problem with that increase, though, is the cost that comes along with it. And so I'll be able to answer that question for you more thoroughly uh, after March, after the Commodity Classic. But I think those are going to be the big goals that we are looking at as wheat growers. I also think we're going to be playing a lot of defense of just maintaining what we currently have in the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, I I think this is going to be a very difficult House and Senate uh, to get any Farm Bill through with Little or uh, with little changes or a lot of changes, I, I think we have a very uphill battle heading our direction. Chandler, I look at the will of the people and I look at the priority of the producer, and I wonder if there's not a clash ahead. Nearly everyone in Washington is talking about climate change, climate agriculture, climate smart program. It's been in legislation. It's in the Build Back Better. But if we look at the previous farm bill, nearly every commodity organization said crop insurance is the most important thing. When I talk to leaders of the agriculture committees, they say we wrote the best policy that we could with the money that we have available. 
So what happens when the minority, which is the producer, says risk management is the most important to me in those tools, but the will of the people and the momentum of the nation says climate, 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 climate? Can you satisfy both of those arenas on limited dollars? Well, that's, you know, I think that's actually what my job is. So I'm going to say yes, but um, I, you're, that's, it's going to be difficult. Um, continuing to educate Congress because of the turnover, and, and even more so, like you said, the public, on the importance of crop insurance and why the government needs to be involved in such an important program. I mean, only the federal government can underwrite a crop insurance type program, and here's my example, and then and then I'll and then I'll move over to the to the consumer and to, and to the public interest on climate. But the example I always like to give, and I'm just going to pick on Geico because that's who I used to have insurance with. <laughs> you know, Geico, Geico. Let's say they insured all four billion cars in in the city of Chicago. They know that on one day, all four four million of those cars are not going to wreck on the same day, and they're going to have to pay claims. And so that's why that they can actually make, you know, their, their business actually uh, sound. But when a hurricane comes through and wipes out six or seven states or tornadoes, which we just experienced a couple months, a couple weeks ago, comes through and tears up three or four states and wide swaths of land of production, whether it's livestock, wheat or other, uh, you know, other farm commodities, the federal government is the only one who can underwrite and back a program to make sure that those farmers and, and ranchers can continue to go back into production that next year because you wiped out their entire livelihood. And I think what a lot of people forget is farmers get paid once a year, not every two weeks and not once a month. And when you've had a storm come through and wipe out your paycheck, we have got to have that risk management tool, whether it's leveraging it in the market or against revenue and yield. We have got to have that program so we don't put our own food producers, our farmers, out of business. And I think as we move from risk management into what can be done in the conservation programs, which Build Back Better does have a lot of money in there for, uh, for conserv- conservation programs that uh, I think could either um, expand existing authorities in Title II. Um, we may even be looking at maybe, a, at maybe new programs. Uh, being able to fold that money into the next farm bill, if it's spent correctly and we can get CBO to agree with this, I think that's going to be the key of balancing that public and consumer desire and need to see climate activity, but also making sure that we protect that very important risk management program of crop insurance. Recently on this program, we had Dan Bossy, the president of Ag Resource Company, and he was talking about this avenue of next-generation biofuels and a tremendous demand for vegetable oils to satisfy that. Is there a challenge before wheat growers to keep wheat in the ground in the nation? Well, you know, we have definitely been seeing over the last 20 years a steady decline in wheat acres, though we have seen an increase in production. So we are producing more on less land. Uh, and, and actually, if you look at the field indicator that came out from uh, field to market, you know, wheat has significantly imp- improved on uh, energy and, and uh, uh, decreasing erosion. But yes, you know, as crushing plants go in, I think we, we will be battling for canola acres, uh, possibly coming back into uh, wheat acres because you know we're we're both grown in the same parts of the country because both of those crops like the same type of climate. But when you make um, 
when you work on these alternative renewable fuels, what you're doing is actually giving canola growers or some of these other small oil seeds a additional market to go to that wheat does not have access to. So that increases your margin. And, yes, it is something that I am concerned about. When you make one commodity um, either more profitable or has more of an opportunity, I think maybe is a better way to say it, to be profitable, it is going to become competitive for the for those acres that are currently planted in wheat. And so, you know, I think that's why some of the research that we continue to look at in the wheat industry, you know, we always work on on scab and uh, the scab initiative and, and some different disease issues. Really what I think the wheat industry needs to be looking at is alternative uses besides food and feed. The Biden administration has spent some time, but not a lot of time, talking about trade. Stocks to use ratio of wheat in the globe is down from about 50%, closer to 30% now. How important are trade issues toward U.S. wheat growers and their profitability? And what do you need from this administration? Well, uh, trade is, is extremely important to the U.S. wheat industry. So we export 50% of the wheat grown uh, in this country. So having that strong demand on the Asian Pacific realm, Mexico, China, Europe, uh, that, that is one of the major backbones that helps us maintain our domestic price. And so, you know, just looking at some of the current things that are in front of us, uh, we'd like to see the Biden administration to continue to push forward on the China Phase 1 agreement. Just to kind of give you a number, and I'm going to I want to make sure this is clear, I'm going to talk in a calendar year and not a production year because the China Phase 1 agreement was written on calendar years and not not a split, you know, production wheat year. But in 2019, before the China Phase 1 agreement, but we still had the tariff uh, issue in place, we only exported 236,000 metric tons of wheat to China. In 2020, we we exported 2,772,000 2, metric tons of wheat. And then in 21, uh, <clears throat> 1,681,000 metric tons. So you can see that the Phase 1 agreement has definitely had a major impact on the wheat industry, uh, thus being able to export just to one country. You know, the flip side of that, too, though, is if, if China would ever come into compliance with the World Trade Organization, which they still haven't come into compliance on the complaint that the U.S. filed against them as U.S. rice and wheat, if they actually met all their WTO requirements, they would be the third largest importer in the world. And so uh, continuing to push that phase one is critical to us. And then also uh, we wanted to thank Senator Bozeman and his colleagues, uh, uh, encouraging uh, U.S. Trade Representative uh, Tai to bring a case against India, again, for uh, domestic supports that are putting their wheat growers at an unfair advantage over U.S. wheat growers. And then we've also started to really look at the U.K. agreement, too, because with Brexit and getting out from underneath that EU umbrella, uh, we really see that as a major opportunity to help us with our soft red and, and possibly increasing uh, some of the other classes that we can send to the U.K. that, you know, the the EU always likes to throw up some sort of trade barrier, barrier against us on something. And so those would be the three major things that we're looking at right now, China, India, and the U.K., and putting the WTO back together. 
Chandler, the, the talk of the major tributaries uh, to the eastern areas, and especially on the Mississippi River, is either replacing or upgrading locks and dams. Well, wheat growers have an issue uh, on the west side of the country with the Snake River that is a major tributary uh, for taking wheat to export markets. Uh, there is a proposal that would take out locks and dams in the name uh, of an endangered species. How would that affect growers in the West and your access to markets? Well, you're exactly right. There is a proposal uh, by Congressman Mike Simpson from Idaho, and uh, who's been a longtime advocate for agriculture. I personally worked with his office uh, back when my days with Chairman Peterson, uh, and then of course he's been a major advocate for all of our farm bills. But he he does have a proposal right now to remove the four lower dams of the Snake River, which are actually in. Uh, Washington State. And the major concern that we have is 60% of the barge cargo uh, that goes out that river system uh, is uh, Pacific Northwest, so Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana wheat. And then 10% of all wheat goes out that river system. And so the removal of those dams would make barging, which is the cheapest way to move grain. It has the low, one of the lowest carbon and greenhouse footprint uh, admission. So, I mean, still trying to keep in with what the Biden administration wants to do. Removal of those dams would make that river system completely um, unnavigable, not only to mention the the hydroelectric uh, energy uh, that would be taken out from those dams. And really, when you look at what we would see as a better solution would be adding fish ladders uh, to help to make sure that we continue to see that um, strong return of salmon populations returning back into the rivers uh, for spawning, because that's the primary driver of removing these four lower dams. There is conflicting information out there of whether or not we have enough rate of return of salmon back into the Snake River to maintain those populations. And I want to be very clear, NOG is very supportive of doing whatever we need to do to make sure that those salmon populations uh, continue to hold steady, if not improve. Removal of those dams and the negative unintended consequences we do not think is the best answer. We would uh, encourage the congressman and others to look at adding fish ladders because we have seen where those do work throughout the Pacific Northwest. Chandler Gould, we want to thank you very much for taking time as we've turned the calendar here to 2022 to spend with us on this edition of Open Mic. Chandler, it is Open Mic, and sir, you have the last word today. Well, I just want to, again, thank you for the opportunity to be on your uh, on your show and, and just really just talk about, you know, the complexity of agriculture and the complexity of politics. And I know we said some things at the very beginning, and some of it was uh, my personal opinion, as you asked me, uh, just from my 21 years of experience in D.C. of how do you how do we get the House of Representatives uh, back together again where it, where it's more bipartisan. Again, I think that goes back to looking at how states draw their legislative districts. Um, I think we're up to seven or eight states that have the bipartisan groups. I was one of my favorite examples because I used to work for uh, Chairman Boswell as well. So, I mean, I think those are going to be key things to look at bringing our representative government closer to the people uh, again, and, and, and stop drawing these safe Democrat districts and stop drawing these safe Republican districts and go back to representing people and, and, and not parties, I think is going to be critical. And then also just the major education campaign that, that your, your publication does, but we really need to turn it towards, towards the actual consumer even more of why these farm programs are so important and how the urban citizens truly do benefit from them knowing that, that it's helping keeping cost of food affordable 
and safe. And, and, and that's a, a continuous battle, but it's the reason that we have representation in Washington, D.C. Uh, it's the reason I work for the wheat growers, and it's the reason all of us who are in D.C. representing our farmers and ranchers continue to strongly advocate for those necessary programs. Our thanks to Chandler Gould, CEO of the National Association of Wheat Growers, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nelling.